I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode of the Dune Saga Podcast, we are discussing Children of Dune. Dun, 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 dun. The third yeah. book in what's considered the original trilogy uh, by Frank Herbert. It follows directly after the book of Winds of Dune, which uh, is written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, uh, or it's nine years after Dune Messiah, written by Frank Herbert. Very nice, very nice. And uh, follow the uh, the end of Paul. Yes, in the here, end of Paul. End of Paul. The, the the basic line of the story is we follow Alia's descent into abomination. Oh yeah, um, kind of the empire's kind of struggling a bit. Uh, both Ganima and Leto, Paul's kids, are kind of trying to come out of their father's shadow, while at the same time dealing with the fear of becoming abomination. Yeah. Uh, so that's the... The, uh, the story really is about Leto the second, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really yeah. have that. And as far as Ganima, I, we, the, I'm used to the narrator pronouncing Ganima. So I'm like... <laughs> so that's all right. Yeah. Uh, there's different pronunciations. That works. Um, you know... Uh, I, I'm a bit torn in this book because I, I read this book now having watched Children of Doom. <laughs> uh, and and of the miniseries, when you watch it, Children of Doom resonates stronger with me than Doom. Yeah. But I'm not certain that if I look at the books together, that Doom doesn't resonate stronger. It's just that I'm kind of cursed by the fact that I've, I've loved children dude i can't wait till we go and watch the miniseries and next our next episode and yeah, and work with it yeah. only because i have such fond memories of of getting it and just plugging the music and listening to the music at work and what i do and just so majestic and um yeah yeah i have trouble <laughs> with the visuals like they'll say so and so such and such looks a place like this and i'm just like I don't know. I don't remember seeing that in the miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. The curse about making a literature of any sort into a movie is that once you see it, it's really hard to divorce yourself from what you've seen and right. and see how the author maybe wrote it. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, so we mentioned this, um, uh, or we talked about this a little bit briefly, but. So this is a trilogy, right? With the original trilogy, not I don't know if it was the first ever trilogy, but the original trilogy from Frank Herbert, and it was, you know, so we have Dune, we have Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune, and many times, the cent- uh, when you look at a trilogy, you know, the first book kind of starts everything, and everything's introduced, and we're, and the book, the the story begins to take off. Then the middle books kind of um, sometimes 
looked at as being the bastard child of a trilogy because it's kind of it's the one that connects everything um, and ties everything together, but nothing much happens. But then you have Children of Dune where we get resolution to everything. And how, how do you feel this Dune trilogy, Frank, fits into that mold, if it does? Uh, you know, to me, I felt like it. he started the book off where he left with Doom Messiah, that same tone of very kind of flat information kind of just being given to you. It didn't feel like a lot of emotion. But about a quarter of the way through the book, for me, it kind of took off into the same feeling of Dune, uh, that, that, that Dune resonated with me. It was kind of powerful, more, you know, groundbreaking kind of things. Things mattered again. So I guess to me, it's kind of like you got you go up the roller coaster and you go down for a while and you go back up right at the end. Uh, so that's kind of how I saw these three books. Uh, Jim, how about you? Yeah, I, you know, I felt at the end of it for one thing that it was a little open ended to call, call it a trilogy. I mean, obviously as you finish the story, there's going to be more. Yeah. Um, you can't talk as much about the golden path as, as the book did and then not do something with that. Uh, I had some trouble with the book though. Uh, even contacted David one day. <laughs> uh, we were on our way to a, a vocal clinic, um, and I'm trying to read this, and uh, the exposition, I just felt, was a little bit too long in this book. Mm. I mean, the exposition seemed to be like half the book. <laughs> so I had, I had a little bit of trouble getting into it. Wow, wow. Cool. What, what did you think, Scott? You know, uh, you know, as far as the whole trilogy idea, yeah. um, I really enjoyed Dune. I did not mind Dune Messiah as much as some people did, <laughs> uh, and I, I liked Children of Dune, but again, I was, I had expectations as to where this story was going, yeah, because the miniseries was fairly fresh. Mm-hmm. Like fresher than when I originally read Children of Dune. So I think those expectations and maybe the fact I was running and I was doing other things as it was listening to the book uh, that this didn't bother me mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly doesn't. It cert- I, I think for me, if we look at the trilogy, the first book remains my favorite of the trilogy. Well, we're going to go and I'm not going to rate it now because we're going to do that later on the show. But the first one remains like my favorite in the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Children of Dune, though, was real good in um and where they where they take it to see the scent of Alia was incredibly fun. Um, uh, to see the children and how they kind of manifest themselves and, and to see the transformation of later the second. Um, these are all things that were fascinating to kind of see. So, um, well, here's, here's a question for you. How do you feel about it as a fourth book in a series? It's not the fourth book in the series. Yeah. Well, if you add in, if you read it, like we're reading it, it's book number four. I know we just talked about it original. Right, right. Well, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you read it just by itself, you see the descent, uh, Alia has already turned. 
yeah. and has made has made the is already entertaining the Baron in her head and and you know descending into her own private hell, right? Um, mm-hmm. What you get with Winds of Dune is that you get that idea introduced and you mm-hmm. you see the turn and if, if depending what you're looking at, if you're looking at the story of Alia, uh, Arlia. Uh, if you look at the story of Aaliyah and her transformation, I almost can't separate Children of Dune. People are going to hate me for saying this from Winds of Dune. Like the, the stories are really so connected. If you're looking at Aaliyah's story, or Aaliyah, so you got me saying Aaliyah now. Aaliyah's story uh, from beginning to end, and and that and, and the way she transformed into the abomination and you know tosses herself out the window at the end. It's just it's in that story itself and watching it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you really, I mean, Winds of Dune gives you a little bit more of a window into how her personality is more open to the same types of things that the Baron is interested in. Just, Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in Winds of Dune, she starts grabbing for power. Like, they see that in her. It's noted. And so that's, you know, that's, to me, it makes more sense that she would fall prey to the Baron when he emerges. Right. To me, I, to me, Alia is the embodiment of obsession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she's obsessed with power. She's obsessed with uh, killing her enemies. You know, uh, she get and she gets on one thing and she stays with it. Yeah. No. No doubt. I. Uh, I wonder. Uh, uh, let me. Let me just put this out. It, for someone that has maybe never read Dune before and they're coming into the Dune, Dune series and you say, well, you know what? We're going to start with the original trilogy. Would you, would you tell them that they need, that they should read Winds of Dune before reading a Children of Dune? Do you think it would give Children of Dune a richer experience for them? Or would you say, nope, do, do the original, do a Dune, Dune Messiah, and then Children of Dune? That is, that is a hard question. Yeah, you're opening a big can of worms. <laughs> I know I I know I am, but there is there's something to be said for we, we had this discussion when we read Dune. Um Yeah. When we read Dune, we said, you know, does the fact that we know all this history did, did that that obviously changed our perception of Dune in some way? Did that make mm-hmm. it less of an experience, more of an experience uh for us? I, I think the jury's out, and uh, but the thing is, I think especially since you have such an open, as you, both you were saying that core of the book, halfway through the book, all this is exposition. Uh, the fact that you add winds of dune is maybe a pretext to it. Does that help? Okay, if they've never read Dune before, I would have a hard time saying that just because Brian Herbert and Kevin G. Anderson's writing is so different. That I wouldn't want that to interfere with them maybe getting caught up mm. into it. However, if they were going like, oh, I want to, I want to know everything, and I'm going to read Paul of Dune as well, then. Well, yeah, I guess what I'm thinking not so much stylistically. I'm thinking more story. Right. So I'm thinking like, like. The context of, for example, Aaliyah and her transformation, like we, we kind of jump in, we're in the middle of the yeah. transformation when we're in Children of Dune, we don't get introduced to that. Yeah. Whereas Winds of Dune gives us the kind of, we, we, we able to see her from 
beginning of Wednesday Dune to the end of Children of Dune transform. I'm not saying that this is the way I'm suggesting doing it. I'm just saying, do you think that would be Roland's disagreeing with us in the chat stream said, absolutely not, no way, not yeah. a chance, and Hades about we're going to do that. Yeah, but, well, he also mm-hmm. said that if he had a choice, he would just say read Winds of Dune. All right. Nothing else. <laughs> oh, he did say he said that. Yeah. Oh, Win- Winds of Dune yeah. is his favorite book favorite of all book. time. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Roland, curse you. Yeah. Uh, I-, I should, like, boot him from the chat room right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> No. Uh, what do you think, Jim? You take over. I, well, let's see. The first time I read Dune, years and years and years ago, um, I read, of course, the other books weren't available. Um, I think I enjoyed Children of Dune more at that time, mm-hmm. but I wasn't anywhere near as busy as I am now. Okay. Mm. Uh, so would the other books help? Yes. Uh, Brian and Kevin's books did help fill in some blanks for me while I was reading. So if someone were to ask me, I would tell them to read the books exactly as we are reading them. Very good. What's your answer? I, I don't necessarily have an answer here. Um, uh, there's there's no doubt this way through i i've always think i'm very much in agreement with jim here yeah. i think that if you're gonna if if what you want is to understand the fullness of the universe and be immersed in all aspects of the universe um and to get a full picture of dune's place in the universe dune dune messiah children of dune there's no doubt that understanding the history as extrapolated by, you know, Kevin G. Anderson and Brian Herbert has made that experience of reading Dune, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune a richer experience. Yeah. That being said, um, uh, the other token, it does take away a little bit of the mystery, yeah. a little bit of the unknown. Uh, you come apart, you come upon references. If you were to read it without having that base that you'd be saying that would cause you to question and maybe debate among your friends and have discussions with that you in a sense can't have now that that's been taken away because you have read the history and the understanding of it. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I'm a personal fan. I love experiencing immersing myself into the world. I don't always need to have, in fact, when I hit those points in like Frank Herbert's Dune and Children of Dune and so on, I'm saying, oh yeah, that's a reference to back when the Bene Gesserit, you know, yeah. the, the, and back when the Butlerian Jihad, and you know, I, that sort of thing gets me into it. It may not everyone. Other people may dislike that mystery. So if you're, uh, if you're a fan of reading a book, and I guess I would say if you're a fan of reading a book, and being okay with not knowing uh, of references being dropped in the book and not knowing necessarily all those references, you certainly don't lose anything from the main story of Dune or Children of Dune or Dune Messiah. But mm-hmm. having the back, if you if you like knowing background information as you read the book, then then you will be frustrated by not knowing some things. And then, of course, then there's the opposite direction: reading uh, Brian and Kevin's books and not reading Frank Herbert's books. <laughs> there, there, there is that. That yeah. wouldn't work. No, that wouldn't work. I don't think we're advocating that. But I think no. you, you hit a point here. I gave Winds of Dune a very high rating, and it was because of the exact thing that you're just saying. The fact that I had read these and had the mystery in my mind of what fit in there, and Winds of Dune filled that gap. 
Oh yeah, just what I the way I want it. So like you, if you want to read a story and you're you're going to start at Dune and not read all the extra stuff, but you're just going to start at Dune, and you and you're that type of person, definitely read Wids of Dune. But if that's not a big thing for you, then just stick with the Frank Herbert three, and and you're good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Well, that was kind of a tangent here. We should probably move, <laughs> move in. Uh, did we uh, even talk about our overall in um, – did we talk about our overall impressions? Is this kind of – have you given that sort of – I don't know. Well, uh, I, I, I enjoy the book. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did too. It, it was a good book. Interesting ending. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love the transformation of Leto. Yeah. He's one of my favorite characters. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a slug controlling the world. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I guess maybe sandworm, but <laughs> how about you, Jim? Um, I, I didn't enjoy it as much. I don't think Ooh, uh, we're going to get, sounds like we're going to get a good rating out of Jim uh, this week. <laughs> I, I had, I had a tough time, as I said, just absolutely slogging through this thing. Uh, at least the first half of it. Uh, when when I got into the second half and there was more story, um, a little more action, and a little more focus on on what was happening uh, in the book itself, rather than uh, recalling pasts and things like that, and philosophical observations and so forth and so on. I, I enjoyed the second half a lot more than I did the first half. Hmm. Hmm. What was the was it like the the what was it that really was a turning point for you? Um, I just remember looking at the Kindle and seeing it was about fifty two percent. So when yeah. you get to the fifty two percent mark in the Kindle book, you know that you are at Jim's turning point. <laughs> yeah, when it when it started to when it started to move forward, um. Let me see. When Duncan Duncan and Jessica went to um, Salusa, yeah, you know, and that that made me curious, wondering, okay, what are they doing there? What's going to happen to them? Uh, how is Wencesia going to deal with this? Uh, mm-hmm. is, are they going to help? Are they going to Are they going to sabotage the plans? And you know, just all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm ready to talk about characters. Let's talk about characters. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Characters. Yeah. Okay, Leto the second. You know, his character seems the most straightforward. Agreed. Of all of them. Agreed. I mean, it, it's he's super interesting, but he's also like, I don't know. I felt the least m- mystery around him. Well, he is the uh, he is the most, in my opinion, like Paul. Yeah. And not 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 talking his storyline necessarily, but he's a guy that seems to be every move is pre calculated, and he is he he knows kind of where he's heading, mm-hmm. and because of that confidence, there's no sense of mystery. Oh yeah, so how does he survive the cats? How does he survive when he's captured? What are, you know? How does he? I mean, there is some mystery in this whole um, becoming the worm. I mean, all that's interesting, and he was certainly fun to watch but it wasn't uh, he he is i agree he's much more straightforward as a character than he is than maybe some of the other ones yeah yeah i mean you kind of get him kind of like right away there's not much mystery to 
I mean, mm-hmm. until until he starts really starting to go out for the golden path, like he's pretty straightforward. Because basically, because he tells you everything he's thinking when you when you get to his parts. So, right. Uh, what were your thoughts on on Leto, Jim? Um, yeah. Well, as you say, pretty straightforward. Uh, not a whole lot of mystery there. A little bit spooky because uh, you know he's just a kid. Yeah, yeah. But he he's he's got this entire future for the universe all mapped out he is thinking about things in a in a very mature fashion he's thinking ahead you know what's going to happen to the spice if we cover this planet with greenery the worms are going to go away there will be no more spice um you know very neat character yeah i would agree what do you think about him uh Hailing his grandfather's namesake. As you know, he's here, he's he's Leto, and now he's Leto the second. Does he in any, any way represent the original Leto? Not to me. No. They're too separate. Less, less so than Paul even did. You know, in the yeah. beginning, Paul Paul wanted to be like his dad, but by, by doing Messiah, he's so far removed. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. we have Ganima. Ganima. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she. It's the I, war names. Yeah. Well, she's a yeah. She's a a gift of of war. Yeah. Spoiled war. Uh, I thought she became more interesting post hypnotic trance. That whole that whole thing was interesting, you know. So they know that they're going to be. That there's going to be an assassination attempt, and she, or they suspect it, and after as it went, after the attack, they kind of make this pact that they're she's going to pretend that she has actually died, you know, yeah. um, that excuse me that Leto actually dies, and she, every there's like a safe word right that he's allowed to activate that allows all those memories to come back, but they figured out how to kind of control that. Um, and so that in her heart of heart, she totally believes that he's dead. And so lives that until near, the, until I guess what, third of the three way, like three fourths of the way through the book or yeah. something like that, where that everything comes back and Leto kind of reveals himself and, and, uh, it's kind of just an interesting transformation. And so that, that part was fascinating. I didn't, I, she's not the character, when I think of children are doing, she's not the character that sticks out with me. Uh, what, what does stick out with me is, as they're thinking about how they can use the twins and the different, like, well, they can uh, sleep together and then we can have the uh, line go on or uh, the, this person can get married to the emperor or, or whatever, or this other man. Right. And so like, although that's kind of an interesting, again, the philosophical dialogue at the very beginning, that is where that's kind of at. But this is also, I think that her character takes a turn from what we've previously seen in the Frank Herbert books of like the straw women are the strong sex in a lot of ways. Like the Benny Gesserit have like all these powers when it comes to preborn, she's constantly reminding us as a reader that women are more susceptible to abomination than males are and that, that they're weaker and it's harder for them to hold back these, these were memories and all that stuff. So it was very, well, is, is very different. Is that a, is that a weakness or is that a strength to be able to call on, on, uh, past lives and past memories, uh, to help 
where there would be inexperience. Well, not not the ability to do it, the ability to not become possessed. I see. To become abomination. Because she mentions several times about how, like, at, like when she's around the time where uh, Faradin is proposed to be her husband, she starts really fighting with her inner inner people in her memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then especially also as well, when Cheney takes over for a little bit, when they play parents and Leto realizes, and she states it there too, that like, for whatever reason, females have a harder time. Sup- preborn females have a harder time of suppressing the inner voices. Uh, and well, just, and again, we only have like three preborn to go off of, right? Right. But they're talking about because they, I mean, I guess all the other preborn were also probably female. I don't know. You just assume. Uh, so I guess the Fremen have dealt with it before since they just killed them or whatever. But uh, I just thought that was interesting because she came off as a little bit weak. I mean, she's strong, yet she admits openly, constantly admits this weakness uh, that she's battling against in her mind. Does Leto the Second also have this battle? Well, yeah, to a degree. To a degree. I mean, so it's not just it's not, it's not just it's just not so it's not just females that deal with this. No, I mean all preborn, but she says she's more susceptible to it because um, Leto's able able to overcome it, right? To a degree. and even so, like with um, when he when he channels Paul, and he's able to suppress Paul, and then he has to convince the presence of Cheney to back off out of out of her and he's like i can't i can't ask you to do that again obviously uh-huh. you're not able to handle it so right. i don't know I, I just thought that was interesting because usually it's all like it's and even even with jessica we see her like weakened with age and not as much of a like uh power being that she was before I always think that Jessica appears much stronger for me in the Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert books than she does in the uh, in the Frank Herbert books. Maybe I'm wrong. That was my. That's just my perception as I think of it. I, no, I would have to agree with that, Scott. Yeah, she, yeah. definitely she, agree with that. She comes across strong. I mean, you just look at Winds of Dune and the decisions she had to make on what Caladan, right? Yeah. And you know, knocking off those ten leaders. I mean, this is. She's a very strong woman. Yeah. She she walks yeah. into she walks into the the palace and frees Irulan and has a you know, Aaliyah kind of a accept that right. Uh, but you don't see that sort of a person here in this book. Right. She's but we're dealing we're dealing with in the case of her of Jessica. She's got to walk eggshells around Alia. Yeah. Because Jessica, I think, knows that Alia is abomination, is possessed, and that she could lose her life at the drop of a hat. Yeah. One wrong word, one wrong move, and boom, it's over. There's, there's also this, this whole thing. I mean, we're talking about Jessica. Yeah, we might as well transfer into Jessica here. Trans- sure. Yeah. We're, we're, there's also this whole thing of her going back to the Benny Jesuit. It seems so out of character. I mean, especially, and I know, whatever, especially when you reinforce it. She doesn't go back, though. With the, well, I mean, she's still, I mean, it's like on the fence. Right. Like, through most of the book, you're wondering if she could go, but if she's, like, working for them, she's not, she's kind of, like, on the fence about it herself. Do you think that's a way to play the Bene Gesserit, though? Probably. I mean, we're, we're talking about political power and the political positioning and, you know, trying to make sure you know who your enemies are and who's for you, who's against you. 
it, it well, really... she 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 might also be picking and choosing the better parts of all the philosophies, you know, that she that she understands. And okay, I'll use this, I'll use that, and she doesn't have to totally align herself with anything. Yeah, I just feel like at the end of Children of Dune, I mean, at the end of Dune Messiah, like she was in a place. Where you almost could never imagine her donning the Abba robes again. You know what I mean? Right. Like she was either Fremen or she was her Duke's lady, and that was it. She wasn't. Benny Gesserit was her upbringing, but she would never don the Benny Gesserit robes again. Even at the end of Dune. You know? Oh, yeah. But something happens here between Dune Messiah or, or even Winds of Dune and Children of Dune, where she, when she arrives back, she's, she's in full regalia for the sisterhood well now uh, i'm a little bit shady in this because it's been about a month since i've read the book the <laughs> when does the reverend mother get killed or not the reverend mother who's the mother that the the, the sister the, the the big central mother that gets killed mohayim 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 and when does that does that happen at the beginning of children of dune or is that in dune messiah it's in Dune, that's in Dune Messiah. That's in Dune Messiah. Yeah. So I wonder if that may have any impact on her. Well, that's her mom. So maybe, but... Maybe. She also hated her mom. <laughs> she had like a love-hate relationship since so she was also her teacher. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's, I don't it's know. a curious question. No, I don't have, a, and I don't and, have an answer. And, 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 and Roland said in the chat room, and I agree, that I mean, maybe our perception is a little bit changed because of reading Winds of Dune, but he says, you know, I feel like there's a book missing between Winds of Dune and Children of Dune, and I, I do as well. I mean, Ch Ch Winds of Dune had some cliffhangers that weren't never addressed with Shaddam's army and stuff, stuff like mm -hmm. that, but like specifically with Jessica, there's something missing. So we need the Book of Jessica. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Book of Jessica, Brian Hurd, uh, you need to get on that. Yeah. So right after after this next school book, this is the next book you need to write. Or as but, soon as you're done listening to this podcast, right, 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 go go right to it. And get right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so uh, so we moved into Jessica here. Uh, anything else we want to say about Jessica and her role here? Hmm. Well, I mean, we can branch off the Duncan or Faradin from her. Yeah, why don't we? Let's let's, mm -hmm. let's, just, let's do Faradin because I find him kind of an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. What did you think of Fraud? Uh, he was a lot stronger character than I expected he would be. And I think that's because of uh, his father. Of course, as we recall, he was uh, rather badly executed. Yeah. Um, I, I expected him to be weaker. And he seemed to start out as a weaker character, but gained strength uh, as he went along. And finally... Uh, stopped listening to his mother and started thinking for himself. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, all through the book, I was expecting him to wind up with a knife in him somewhere. It really, it was kind of a surprise and a twist to me that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about how Ghani was talking about wanting to do, do this guy really good yeah. all through the book. <laughs> now, now remind me, is it at the end of this book that, that he has the name, the title change? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't remember if they revealed that here or if it was like in, in, in the next book. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. For, he becomes uh, Harak or, yeah, Harak uh, yeah. al Ada. One of the, he's like one of the guys who writes, writes most of the quotes in this book. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, kind of like airline history guy. Yeah. I, I, I liked his development as well. I mean, you see this kid that you almost kind of want to root for in the beginning. But then for a split second after denouncing his mother, you're kind of like, well, maybe he is power hungry because he's very intelligent. So he's working the system to like get the most out of it. He's kind of like, right. Well, these are the, this is the hand I've been dealt. Like I might as well just go along with it and use it. Mm hmm. Uh, and then, and then as after his many Jesuit training kind of like changes again and decides to go back to his other way of being more, you know, marrying Ghani, but not being her husband kind of thing. Right. Taking an Irulan type, right. type of place and being, and being okay with his, his new position. Uh, I thought that was very, very interesting. I like him a lot in the movie as well, which we'll talk about next time. I yeah. Think. He's right. a lot tamer in that. But at the same way, that demeanor I think fits the character. Dude, that one that that one scene since we can now transition into Duncan. Yeah. When they when they have him when they have Duncan bound and he you know cuts his wrists up through and he yeah, yeah they, they're like oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of cringe at that. Who let the sugar wire sugar wire? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So what did you think of Duncan in this book? Well, obviously the honeymoon is over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Man, he is he is shook up when he sees it that she's changed. I, mean, I can't even yeah. imagine. Like he goes from from seeing the person he loves to like completely repulsed when he sees her and heartbreaking every every time he sees her. And I like that they yeah. kind of explain that his eyes give it away with her aura or whatever before like he picks it up in her personality. Hmm. He realizes that some, it's not the same person because she looks different. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of felt like he had become a much weaker character in this book. He had forgotten his training and, and just, he, he just didn't seem to be himself. He, he's more emotional. Yeah, way more emotional. Yeah. Well, he's not himself. He's hate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean, Jim. I'm just you know, I'm talking yeah. No. Good. No, I was. Just, I you know Duncan for me. This is when I think of Jonah Dude. He's not one of the characters to say, "Oh man, he was awesome in this book." Yeah. He was good. He was a. He's like like some of the books you get in, in there and you you run to the characters you run into before and like, oh, there's a familiar face. I'm gonna you know, and you're kind of paying attention to what's going on. Uh, but again, for me, uh, Aaliyah remains my favorite tragic hero in this book. You know, you, you see her rise from being possessed with his precog, precognitive and preborn ability and, you know, rises up in the midst to give some sort of a mystical essence to Dune and then into Dune Messiah and then this, in Winds of Dune, you kind of see her begin to turn and begin to hunger to hold the Regency together, believing that Poe is indeed dead. And then here she's come full circle and falls tragically at the end. It's just a beautiful story. And that is, that is my favorite story and storyline in, you know, in, cho in Children of Dune is to kind of follow her and to see the tragedy again at the end and, and, uh, see Paul's tragedy again too, for that matter. You know yeah. what I you know what I like is is it's it's pointed out here, but something they kind of hark on in the in the other books too is that like Jessica was this woman of power that 
Gurney came to desire. And you think, well, you know, Duncan was a young man. He probably was interested too. And I like how she calls him out on that. And uh, he, she says, you liked Alia because you thought of her as a younger version of me. And I thought, there you go. I mean, like he probably did see a younger version of her and wanted the same thing that his Duke had uh, mm-hmm. when he was tempted by uh, the love of Alia. Mm. True. True. So. Yeah. Well, any other characters before we move into points of plot? Uh, we have Paul the Preacher. Uh, what do you think mm-hmm. of Paul the Preacher? Preacher Paul? The Preacher slash Paul? Right. <laughs> I, think I don't know. He just comes and goes and drops these little pearls of wisdom here and there and inflames everybody and then just kind of disappears. And, yeah. And then and dies. I, I, and when he arrived at Arakeen, I it made me think of Palm Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little it did. bit. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I could hear I could hear it singing in the background. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Yeah. Very much so. And he, he, he uh, I think what I found that the part that I was really fascinated is when him and later the second meet. Mm-hmm. That part out yeah. in the desert. I, that whole conversation and where that leads is is interesting. And the dialogue is interesting between them. Mm-hmm. Something we didn't cover was Leto's loss of love, romance in his life because of his transformation. Like you see, I mean, this is going to come up later, but you see, like he deals with the he's he's only nine, but <laughs> but he's already like he's tempted by the future with uh, what is it, Sa- Sadia or. Whatever her name is, the the cast out yep. that takes care of he sees a future where the two of them are lovers and he's tempted by this over and over and over again until he puts on the, the skin. So are you saying this is kind of like uh a Christ in the desert temptation type thing? No, I'm just saying no, I'm not saying <laughs> where that. Where he Actually, rises I- above that to become the incarnation of Shaihalud. Well, There's not. a lot of interesting parallels there. Well, you know, he, he does. He, he becomes transformed into the new. He's a new Christ for the people, so to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a real god. He's not human anymore, you know. And in so many ways, well, but, real gods maybe just a well, a, a, a realer god than just a guy, <laughs> right? Who, yeah. Know, I mean, in their universe. But I'm talking more just as a person sacrificing. That. I mean, I no, they, I, I hear they make they make a they mention about even just how it's like genitalia are no longer there because of the skin, and it's just mm. like that. Like, it's a big deal to him that obviously will have psychological things in the future. No. So, yeah. interesting, interesting. All right. Well, why don't we move into some favorite points of the plot? And we can hit anything else above character that we need to hit here. Uh, a couple major events that happened in this book. Let's start out with the assassination attempt on the twins. Uh, how did this play out for you? How did you feel about it? Uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead? I, I'll tell you what, that was really, that was a scary thing, uh, all the way through, right, right from the beginning of the book when they're talking about training the tigers to do what they want them to do. And having the the children decoys, 
and making the still suits so that the tigers would recognize them as something to attack, delivering the still suits, uh, getting the children into a situation uh, where where this could be carried out, and then it failing, but still, you know, it caused quite a bit of injury to both of the kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. So well, yeah, absolutely. It would it would probably be one of the top story events for me anyway. Hmm. How about you, David? I to, to me that whole event I found that very exciting as well. Um, I'm trying to harken back to not knowing what happens there, and I, I remember it being very a very exciting, like cliffhangerish type of event where I just I wanted to know what's going to mm-hmm. happen next, and every every turn of it kind of was surprising and then especially with like Leto's fake death. Well yeah, and, and, and that whole scene like so uh Ganema is like looking out of the desert and watching it in the distance and you can see these little figures out there and and he calls this worm and rides off and but she kind of because she's suppressed and says, Oh, he's dead, he's fallen and, and convinced herself to believe it, we kind of see that through Ganema's eyes, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, the whole riding off. Well, yeah, Ganima sees the she sees the worm, but then she doesn't see him on it. Right, she just assumes it ate him. Right, so. right. So it's a uh, very, very. Uh, it is, I agree. This is it was a very it was a fascinating thing. The whole training of the cat, so the planning of it to discover who's behind it is kind of interesting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. How about the uh, how about the erosion of the old Fremen ways? Well, I think that happens with time. I mean, if anyone, if any two people in this conversation can relate to this, it's you and me because we've got the Amish around us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And see, just seeing mm-hmm. the generations of how that kind of like dwindles off. Well, you know, and so for people in the chat, if you don't know who the Amish are, people on the podcast, if you don't know who the Amish are, the Amish are this really close-knit closed knit and closed community that, you know, that predominantly there's Lancaster, Indiana, some – Areas in Kentucky and Florida that have Amish, and then they're in New York, and there's, but they're they're in kind of their own communities. And for the longest time, no technology. Um, they worked in their farms, uh, horse drawn machinery. Um, you know, any sort of mechanism was done maybe through a diesel engine, maybe uh, and even electricity. They did everything with kerosene and stuff. And and in the most recent years, you've seen the influx of technology as people have had to, in order to earn a living, work off the farms. Uh, yeah. They've had to, they jobs are required them to be in contact, and therefore they have these electronic devices. And there's a sense where some of the ways are being lost in these communities. Yeah. And, um, and it's very, and not unlike the Fremen, but I don't feel like this, the, the, the loss or the erosion of the Fremen ways is anything new. Like you saw this when um, who was the planetologist uh, Leah Kynes, right? Um, and what was his, what was his father's name? Uh, I can't think of it. Was it, it was not? It wasn't Leah. It was uh, was it Pardo. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, you saw it even there when he introduced it. That, that it was already beginning. It wasn't like so. This this isn't just the erosion. This is maybe the continual erosion of it. We aren't just seeing that we wrote in this book or. It's just a continuation of it in my mind. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I mean, because we've got this history to look at, you look back to when the uh, Ishmael showed up 
and met the Fremen then and the way they were then to nows. Well, even also. his even his introduction is an erosion of the Fremen way. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it's been constant. I mean, they are getting water so maybe cut. maybe I don't like the word erosion. Maybe I like the word change because I don't think that I think erosion implies something bad is happening. Maybe it is, but uh, there's certainly there's been change, and the Fremen have been a constant change, and yet more or less have adhered to and adapted to living in the desert. I think in Stilgar's point of view, it's an erosion. Oh, definitely. I, I love mean, how he, he gets on a worm to leave and just get out and, and, and be a Fremen again. He heads to his old siege, and what does he have? What has it turned into? It's turned into a tourist trap. <laughs> uh, you know, he's really disappointed. And uh, the way that uh, still suit discipline is no longer being observed like it should be. Uh, the atmosphere, the, what they breathe is even changed. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, to, it, it, I think it would depend on a point of view, whether it would be change for the better or for the worse. The thing that has always puzzled me with this is that's what they set out to do. Mm-hmm. was transform the face of the planet. Now we're facing the loss of a way of life. We're facing the loss of the only thing that allows people to travel around the galaxy. But this was done on purpose, you know, and and how can they be disappointed when they're achieving their goal? It's interesting. This plays into, I believe, one of the other points we wanted to bring up, and that was the de-desertification of Dune, right? Mm-hmm. And the, uh, and I think another part is, you know, how does terraforming affect the environment? We're, we're concerned about the worms, obviously, and how it affects them. You, you know, the talk has been, as the Kynes, uh, clan would uh, often talk about, is that, you know, Dune at one time was green. Uh, it supported life in some event prior to any history that we have or know about. Uh, it became a desert, um, and the worms took over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're, they're trying to bring it back. Man's tinkering with the ecology of Dune. It's it's impacting. It's impacting the infrastructure that they've set up. It's not. I mean, the mining of spice. One could argue is not necessarily in some ways unlike the mining of oil, you know, for us. So we mine oil and we're saying, well, let's get rid of the oil industry. Let's go into a more ecological friendly thing. It's certainly good for the earth here, but that is impacting so many jobs, so many people's ways of life. So it's different because they're not necessarily, obviously mining oil is not eco-friendly, but um, similar ideas. I think I kind of explored here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the thing with the Fremen is that to them, this dream was so many generations away that they never thought about that as part of the picture. It was always just like, well, we do this, and the next generation will do this and do this and do this. And uh, it was just kind of like a, a transitional thing that they didn't realize the actual like problems that it would that it would cause because it was just such a dream. And then Paul comes along with the might of the Empire and just is like, boom, you know, let's, let's do, it. do it. Yeah, right. like it's going to happen now. I have the Empire here. We can do this. Yeah, like I promise Nothing's you. stopping mm-hmm. us now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, it just put it so many generations ahead 
of what they wanted. And then it wasn't, you know, till Latos realizes it even that he has to set it back to try and help to s- stop it as much as he can or take control of it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a couple other events that we can cover here. Uh, what, what about we, we have Aaliyah's possession? We've kind of talked about that in a roundabout way. We have the Carino's attempt to regain rulership, as always, been kind of a running theme here, um, especially in Dune Messiah, Winds of Dune, and then this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later, the second is Golden Path. Um, well, anything that are those that you want to kind of talk on? I think the Carino's we finally see kind of an end of their. their struggle to gain power or whatever. Right. Acceptance into the Atreides way of life with Faradin. Faradin definitely did. Yeah. 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 Um, but when Cecil was not willing to let it go. Yeah, right. And, the, <laughs> and she, like, she never, you, in all the stories, like, she never seemed like the person who was going to let it go. So. No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's too much to say there. Uh, uh, the Golden yeah. Path. There's a lot to be said. I mean, it's, there's a lot not known at this point. So I think we're going to learn more and more about that as we move forward. So yeah. now my my impression of it was, is there are a lot of different paths and events that will take place that could lead to the end of humanity. And the golden path is going to lead to its continuation. Correct. So uh, the, yeah. the golden path is the path to complete unknown. It's a path that brings humanity to a place where prescience, prescience is not possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are you spoiling this for us? Well, don't they talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's not like it's, you know, yeah, it's just this path that, yeah. you know, yeah, how it's achieved. Now, if we talk about that, that's that would be. Yeah, spoiled. I'm not going to spoil about how it's achieved. No. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Uh, so, Jim Roland wants to know: uh, Do you have the Packers game on in the background? I do. <laughs> Is yeah. Shai winning the, the Packers game? Right. No. Are they are, are they riding the sandworms into glory, Jim? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There might be some worms, but it doesn't look like it's too much glory. As a matter of fact, <laughs> <laughs> matter of fact I think. I think the pack just lost today, and nobody expected that. And if McCarthy doesn't have a stroke, that's going to be a miracle. <laughs> so, oh, okay. yeah, oh. It just it's just not going our way today. So I think I'll take the cheese hat off. And- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we, uh, Jim? Do you want to take us into quotes? Uh sure. Um, so. I I only found two quotes myself. David, do you I'll have do, any quotes? You I'll just turn it out over to David. Yeah, I, I can say some things that stuck out. I mean, again, the uh, the just words and not beginnings of the books is just the part where Jessica calls out Duncan for uh, for thinking that Alia was a younger version of her. That was, and then the big the whole line of sticks in my head. My skin is the skin is not my own. Right. That's, that just sticks in my head. But there weren't very many quotes in this book that stuck out, mainly because they were very different from previous books. I mean, they were, So what you're saying is you don't have any quotes. Yeah, I don't have any quotes. No. no. <laughs> okay. we, we, we still love you, David. Still love you, David. <laughs> uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead with your quotes? All right, I will. A um, couple of some, uh, well, just a couple of quotes. 
uh, all proofs inevitably lead to propositions which have no proof. All things are known because we want to believe in them. And that is from the Bene Gesserit manual, I I believe, on uh, politics. And another one was, governments, if they endure, always tend increasingly towards aristocratic forms. No government in history has been known to evade this pattern. And as the aristocracy develops, government tends more and more to act exclusively in the interests of the ruling class, whether that class be hereditary royalty, oligarchs of financial empires, or entrenched bureaucracy. And that is uh, from the politics uh, as repeat phenomenon from the Bene Gesserit training manual. Oh, yeah, definitely. Good quotes. Well, and and what it's, and you know, it's really neat. A lot of these political quotes that I find throughout the books, uh, I can see it. Mm. You know, uh, I, I can see how things are, especially, well, you talk about entrenched bureaucracy. We're living in one of those. <laughs> Very true. And I think yeah. that there's, a, I think the thing that, Constantly in, in quotes like that, Jim, as I look at it and say, well, I see truth in our own society. And I mean, yeah. this is the, uh, it, it, this is the thing that I love about science fiction is that science fiction, even though it's way futuristic, many times function as a commentary to our current society. And you see that here in Children of Dune. Yeah, yeah. And the quotes great, a lot to think about. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. One of the quotes that I really liked, uh, those are your two quotes, right? Yes. Okay. So I didn't want to take away if you had another one. But the uh, one of the quotes that I really enjoyed was the one, uh, I forget where it said, but, uh, Frank Herbert wrote uh, in Children of Dune, the child who refuses to travel in his father's harness. This is the symbol of man's most unique capability. I do not have to be what my father was. I do not have to obey my father's rules or even believe everything he believed. It is my strength as a human that I can make my own choices of what to believe and what not to believe, of what to be and what not to be. Sounds like a a statement from the uh, Industrial Revolution. (laughs) Well, a little bit. You know, I was having a conversation with my mom the other day, and she did not obviously ever read Dune, but but she uh, said to me, she goes, you know, I, I watched the way my father uh, raised raised us, and I said there are some things I'm just not going to repeat. And it's the power to change that, the power to change ourselves. I think is it very much echoes. I think it's one of the reasons I chose this quote. So, yeah. Um, uh, another another quote: um, "The future remains uncertain, so it should, for it is a canvas upon which we paint our desires. Thus, always the human condition faces the beautifully empty canvas." We possess only this moment in which to get dedicate ourselves continually, the sacred to present, which we share and create. Um, and the other, another quote that I like, this is just a small one. The most deadly errors arise from obsolete assumptions. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Oh, there, there are, there are, I, I, you know, I disagree. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, the, the quotes that I have in front of me right now, there are some really good quotes in here. Um, yeah. Often I'm I must speak, oh, often I must speak otherwise than I think. This is called diplo- diplomacy. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think maybe I was looking for more 
to come from the epigraphs. Oh yeah, the, I don't think the epigraphs the were quite itself. as strong in this one. No, I, they, they weren't. Yeah. They really weren't. Yeah. Well, okay. So where are we at? That this brings us up to. Uh, do we need to talk about the poll, or do we going to? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, let's talk about our closing thoughts and maybe our predictions, and then the poll. Let's do that. Okay. So, David, why don't you go ahead and uh, lead us into that? All right. Well, closing thoughts on Children of Dune. Uh, I found this book to be really strong uh, for me, at least in bringing me back into Herbert's plan. You know, Doom Messiah. First time and this time just kind of just didn't do it for me. Doom Messiah is a necessary evil, in my opinion. Yeah, you you need you need to see Paul's dissatisfaction. Uh-huh. You need to see that you need to travel with him in that journey. Uh, you need to see his his despondency toward prescience and and uh, you need Dune Messiah, but it's not an easy read and maybe not, maybe is not written as well as one would wish. Right. But. This kind of, this children Dune just brings back in. I want more. I can't wait for more. I want to know what's going to happen. It, it adds mystery back into the series and uh, yeah, that's it yeah. for me. What uh, do you think, Jim? I think I would have rather have been able to read this book during the summertime when I didn't have so many things going on. Okay. Yeah. I, I probably would have enjoyed it more than I did and gotten into it a lot more, I think, if that had been the case. All right. Yeah. Okay. Scott? No, I, you know, I like Children of Dune. Children of Dune works for me. It holds together for me. Um the story is interesting. Again, I've said it many times throughout the show that either the story of uh, Alia's descent is fascinating. Uh, what's happening with the children? How the how is the like you know and suspect from the beginning that the preacher's Paul, and they don't really confirm that till much later in the book. And uh, to see him being absolutely a, a wreck of a former his former self, I think that there's a lot of fascination in this book. I liked it. I like Children to do. It was a good book. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk ratings. Start with Jim. Uh, he gave, you know, he gave Winds of Dune a solid, I'd read a sequel. Uh, what 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 did you think of this book? Uh, I, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Okay. It's not as low as I thought you might go, yeah, actually. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a little bit lower. Yeah. Well, so, I, I was thinking as I was reading through up to uh, – 52%, I was thinking 2.5. <laughs> so the, book, the, the, <laughs> the second half of the book redeemed itself for me by one point, so 3.5. So, like, if you average that out, 2.5, so the, the second half of the book was like a 4.5, and that equals your 3.5? Or not, <laughs> or not, not quite I, the way you were looking at it. Man, I'm a musician. I can only count to four, okay? So don't... don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> this five-star rating throws them all the way off. Uh, yeah, it just exactly. blows me away, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true here. Uh, How about you, Scott? Um, it's a four. It's not okay. the... It's uh, certainly not as low as... I don't know even what I rated Dune Messiah, but it's certainly not uh, as low as I, I, I think I rated Dune Messiah, but this is... I look here in Roland's handy dandy uh, chart. Uh, uh, no, Dune Messiah, I gave a four. Oh. So, so, anyways, uh, maybe that was a mistake. No, it's not. 
uh, Dude Messiah was a three point two five. So I, it's better than Dude Messiah. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to give it a solid uh, a solid four. Uh, and and the reasons for that is, uh, and I, I agree with Darren here in the chat. He says might not be the best book in the series, but certainly the most memorable. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. There's I, a lot of memorable stuff in here. Yeah. Um, uh, but however, reading it. There were times where I would read a whole page and be like, I need to read this page again because somewhere in the long line, I just stopped paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's never a good sign, David. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, right. yeah, I'm going to give it a solid four. Yeah, that. so, uh, so three and a half, four and four. So that's the uh, ratings we need to add into that. Right. Well, uh, while we're here at the end of the show, let's, let's, let's review our poll. So our poll last week, Roland, right, wrote, said, I found it fitting that we read a book predominantly about women in October, which was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, then he, has, he came up with this question and said, throughout the series so far, from the Butlerian Jihad through the Winds of Dune, chronologically, which major female character do you find the most fascinating? And there was a whole list of characters. Uh, Kalia Vernius, uh, Gaius Helen Mahayam, Lady Anrul Carino, Lady Margot Fendering, Lady Jessica, Tessia Vernius, uh, Chani uh, Kynes, Chani Kynes, Princes, Serena Butler, Norma Senva, Zufa Sema, Reina Butler, Raquela, Berto, and Anirul, Lady Helena, Richies, Atreides, Princes, Irlan, and Aliyah Atreides. So uh, I had the poll results. Uh, where do you think they, uh, they ended up? Who, who do you think that they came out on as being the most memorable female character? I'm going to Jessica. Jessica. Lady Jessica. And my- let's, let's see where we voted first. Okay. I voted, uh, it, was, it was hard because I was, I was, it was between Norma and Irulan, and I chose Irulan. You chose Irulan? Okay. And uh, Jim? I, I have to admit I am influenced by the David Lynch movie. And I have the hots for Jessica, so that's all. That's all. <laughs> uh, mine, I voted for Norma Senma. Okay. Because I was fascinated with Norma and that storyline. And when we read The Butler and Jihad, it was just fascinating. Yeah. Um, so where did listeners vote? They voted Norma Senma. Really? Norma Senma was 37% of the vote. Wow. Got wow. That. Yep. And the uh, and second, Aaliyah. Really? Aaliyah Trades got 22% of the vote. You Just know it. why, though? That's because of the naked scene. <laughs> well, that was Her Cheney. Oh, no, in the naked scene. Yeah, it was Cheney that was naked in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no one, no one, no one is influenced by that. That's in the movie, but in no the one book. voted for Cheney. So, no, wow. no, 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 no one, no one cared about the naked, naked in the, scene in the book and the uh, her seeing her boobage or anything like that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Lady Jessica came in at number three. So, and uh, let me see where Irline, if Irline got it, Irline got Irline got um, number four. Yeah, I have the hots for Irlan in the in the miniseries, so I, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> we're, oh, we're motivated by our hearts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our our uh, maleness. maleness. True <laughs> romantics. We're true romantics. True romantics. No. Uh, so there was actually uh, there was actually then a bunch of ties, a bunch of uh, five percenters. Uh, Hakati, uh, the Cymac, uh, Serena Butler, and Zufa Senva all came in with a couple of votes. Um, Did anyone get no votes? Oh, yeah. So, Rena Butler got no votes. 
Uh, Helena Atreides got no votes. Uh, Kalia Vernies got no votes. Uh, Gaius Mahalam, uh, Mahayam got none. Uh, Anna Rule Carino got none. Uh, Tissia Vernius got none. And Chani okay. got not, Ch- Chaney got none. Well, I can't, hmm. I'm kind of surprised Chaney got none. You know, and this was, I think his stipulation was, it's to this point from what we've read. What were your thoughts? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was interesting. Yeah. You know, so, uh, Norma Senva for the win. Yeah, for the win. Wow. So we have a That's new a poll. Yeah. yeah it is a surprise. Uh, yeah, not to me, but. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We have a new poll for next month. Uh, I mean, did you see, did you see the way that that um, they described her after she had her transformation? She was hot. Oh, pfft, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <No doubt. laughs> uh, uh, the next month next month poll. We're, uh, we're simplifying it. It's very simple. Down to two, two, two options. Two. This, two uh, options. Jim, you can count this high. Yeah, you're a musician. Yes. I know you can do it. Uh, it's in German, even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which path would you choose? Paul's path, Leto's path, or watching the Packers with Jim? Are you going to put that as a third option? No, I bet that's going to win. Gonna, yeah. I bet that's going to win. So we're all going to vote for that. <laughs> now we better clarify here. Are we talking the golden path is Leto's path, or is this Leto the first path? So the path with prescience or the path without? Is that what we're talking about? I think we're, we're I think it's referring to later the second and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. But are we talking about the path of prescience or the path without? Or is that not the Well, I think the whole thing is Paul Paul turned away from the golden path. Right. So he chose, you know, the different route with the jihad and everything. And Later went the other direction and took the golden path. All right. So, so maybe we need to cl- put a little clarification in there what we mean by the paths. Yeah. So jihad or no jihad or golden path. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that is our question. So I guess we should wrap up, get out here and get ready to do a listener show that we're going to record next. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, we just want to remind you that if you're enjoying, whoa, whoa. I'm just knocking everything over. Yeah. There. Here, there we go. <laughs> the go easy there, big shut. guy. Go easy. Yeah. David's tearing apart my house today. I know. So. I, I, I fell down the steps. It was like one step. One step. One step. He missed, missed one step, way. and I hear this crash, and there's like stuff just rolling around in the foyer. Where was phenomenal. he when you were tearing that old barn down then, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I should help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, if you're enjoying the show and you like me messing things up and, and breaking things, <laughs> then uh, we would encourage you to visit our Patreon page, which is at patreon.com slash Podcast. There you have the option of supporting us uh, each month financially if you'd like to help us kind of uh, stagger the cost of the things that we do here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a great help. Keeps us going. You can do anywhere from a dollar up, you know, or less even. And uh, there's some some nice little perks there. You can get some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, be a part of some of our, uh, you know, fan conversations, that types of things. So please, if you'd like to support us, visit patreon.com slash podcast. And, and, the other way- and for a limited time only, if you contribute at a sufficiently high enough level, 
and have something you would like destroyed, David will personally come over <laughs> and trip and over destroy it. it for you. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll, I'll do it nonchalantly, like I didn't mean to. I'll just like, trip like, over. Oh man, I can't believe you know. So like, and this is especially good. And maybe in the next week as you're getting ready for the holidays here and, you know, you need something broken so that someone can replace it with like a better version. Like, let's say you have an old TV yeah. that you no longer want. You, you see these new flashy, I don't know, thousand dollar TVs that curve around you. And, you know, and, and you want that TV. It, David will come over and just like say, oh, man, didn't mean to break your TV, yeah. man. And then, uh. then you can say like, hey, yeah, you know, can I get another one? You know, it's, just, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect for that. It's perfect. Yeah, your uh, you wife will never pick up there, on David. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You know, another way that you can support us is by jumping onto iTunes in whatever country you are living in, and to leave us a review of the podcast of what you. Uh, hopefully, you're liking the podcast, but leaving us a review it just helps you know uh, put us into a certain. Uh, place within the iTunes polls and how they uh, allocate rankings and all that. Yeah. And not that we need that. We're going to do the podcast either way, but it's just be nice to, you know, get a little bit of a love that direction. So it's a nice way for you to do that. Yeah. And, um, and it's great. Obviously visit us on Facebook. We are on the Facebook. We are, uh, we have our website, dunesagapodcast.com. We have uh, show notes. Our polls are there. If you want to call or give us listener feedback, want to participate in that, dudensagapodcast at gmail.com. We have our phone number, our voicemail number is 126-0577-CHAT. Uh, um, and you can do that. Or t- last word is 2428. And I think that's about it. Uh, we have, we're on, I guess we're on Twitter, too. Yeah, we're also Twitter at Podcast. So any of those places you want to submit some feedback, you know, we have a whole feedback show where we'll talk about Anything that you send in and, and yeah. uh, discuss it. Good, bad, neutral, whatever. But right now we are not letting David near the website because he'll break it. He'll break it. He'll break it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get out of here. Yeah. So once again for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you. 